How long would you keep your friends hanging? How long would you make them wait? How long before you reply to that text? How long before you pick up the phone? I suppose it depends on which friend, doesn't it? It depends on what you think they're asking for, on what time of day they're calling. But there are some times when you'd be right there, you would respond immediately, instantly for your friends. When it's an urgent problem, when it is life and death, as soon as you get a call, you set off. It's just a basic part of friendship, isn't it? So it seems quite jarring here, doesn't it, to see Jesus delay going to help his friend here, his friend who is in his hour of need. Let's look at those verses again from verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We'll see that event in chapter 12. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. I read that and I want to ask, what on earth is that so doing in that sentence? It's this little two-letter word, but it completely throws you, doesn't it? We're told twice here, Jesus loved Lazarus. How is waiting two days when he hears that he is ill connected to that by a so? And it's even more shocking after all that Jesus has been saying about himself in chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Here's one of his sheep. And he's in need. And Jesus won't even lay down his plans for tomorrow to visit this friend. And very soon, Lazarus is dead. And we're thinking, love? Is this love? How is this love? I think it strikes pretty close to some of our own fears about following Jesus. Is that going to be me? Is, is, is Jesus really as good as his word? All these promises sound fantastic. But I struggle to, to hold on to them, to, to believe in them, because... I fear that in, in my moment of great need, he might just leave me hanging. He might just wait the extra couple of days. And I'll be dead by the time he gets there. Perhaps you feel like that with whatever sickness or struggle you're stuck in in the moment right now. You feel like Jesus is just in no rush to get to you, that he's just another 
procrastinator. Just another guy full of empty promises. So it's really important to ask, what is that so doing? Let's start with, with Jesus' answer to the news about Lazarus. In verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And we might often try to, to process and understand these tragedies and troubles in life by looking back, looking back for a reason and thinking, where did this come from? But, but just as he did in, in chapter 9 with the man who was born blind, Jesus directs us, actually, sometimes it's better to look forward. Not where did it come from, but where is it going? How will it end? Now here Jesus points us forward to the end of Lazarus' sickness. This story will not end in death, but with a display of God's glory through Jesus. Glory is a word that is just worth spending a little bit more time on. It's used twice here, and when it's used in the Bible, it has a couple of kind of helpful images behind it that really help us see what's going on with glory. The first kind of nuance to it is that of weight. We talk, we talk of weighty matters, or, or something perhaps leaving an impression on us. Almost like it's pressing down, it is leaving an imprint on us. There's a heaviness about it, there's a significance about it. And so that's part of God's glory, it's his weight, it's his significance. The the important impact that he has on everything because he is the one who created and sustains everything. He has this weight to him that nothing else has. So the first image is weight. The second is light. It's, it's like God shining out his brilliance, the greatness of who he is. You know, when the weather's sunny, we say, oh, what a glorious day this is. And God's glory is a bit like that. And to see God's glory, to experience God's glory, is like sunbathing in that brilliance, that, that we enjoy the lightness of it. We, we enjoy the warmth of it. It's more than simply seeing and understanding some truth. It's experience and being warmed in the glow of God's goodness. And this is what Jesus says he's doing here when, when he's displaying God's glory to those he loves. He is, he's enlightening us. He's warming us. He's impressing on us his significance. Now, as Andrew said at the start, you may know what happens next in this story. You may know that Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead. I think it would be helpful to just kind of slow down as we go through this account of what happened and to just kind of sit in the story a little bit to kind of drive slowly and appreciate the view of Jesus' glory. Indeed, to to just be sure that we have his significance pressed onto us. And that means with this first part, to really, really notice what's going on here and to feel a bit shocked at Jesus' first reaction to his friend's sickness. How it doesn't seem glorious at all. Now we're going to see that glory by, by looking at this, this passage through the lens of the three deaths that are happening in this passage. There are three deaths that are talked about. The first death is actually Jesus' death. 
See, the disciples weren't worried that Jesus waited two days. That wasn't their problem. Their problem is that after those two days, he still wanted to go. Because this isn't just about Lazarus' death. Jesus' death is wrapped up in this now, too. You look down at verse 7. Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, teacher, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. Yet you're going back. There's a danger of death for Jesus. Now, for many activities that we do in this building, we have to do risk assessments. We try to consider all the possible things that could go wrong or how people might get hurt. And then we try to put measures in place to kind of reduce or minimize those risks as much as possible. Then there's the, whatever risk is left over, residual risk, is that right, Steve? <laughs> whatever risk is left over, we decide, are we, are we comfortable with that amount of risk? And then if it is, then we go ahead with the activity or whatever it is we're doing. Now, Jesus' disciples here are running a risk assessment for going back to Judea. Back to a place where John tells us in, in chapter 11, verse 18, which is less than two miles from Jerusalem. It's under two miles from where all the people who want to kill him live. And the disciples are thinking, mm, maybe we don't go there. See, several times in John's Gospel, Jesus has faced this opposition. He's actually been surrounded by people who want to kill him, to throw, throw stones at him. And yet somehow each time he's managed to either kind of talk them down from it or slip away from it. So far, the risk of death has been managed by speaking very carefully, by making quick exits. But if he goes within two miles of where all these people are, if he goes and draws attention to himself with a, with a massive, unprecedented miracle of raising someone from the dead, how long can he expect to keep escaping? Where can he run to? To go to Lazarus really puts Jesus' own life in danger. And yet Jesus is determined to face his death. Jesus answered in verse 9, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. It seems like kind of a little bit cryptic answer, but Jesus is actually picking up here on something that he said to his disciples a couple of chapters ago. In chapter 9, if you just turn back a couple of pages to chapter 9 and verse 4, and you'll notice he, he says something very similar, again in, in the context of being about to do a miracle. He said to them, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So it's kind of similar things that he's talking about, night, day, the light of the world. And here in chapter 11, he's telling them it is still daylight. 
I'm the light of the world, I'm still shining, and you'll be safe as long as you walk with me. But there was an ominous note there back in chapter 9, wasn't there, in verse 5. Night is coming. Night is coming when no one can work. And the fact is, their risk assessment was right. The 12 hours that he talks about in chapter 11, there's a limit on the daylight. There's an end to the day, and then the night comes. And it's, this is the turning point in John's Gospel. And I want you to notice how much it is in Jesus' control, but how much that this is his plan. Because it is Jesus' choice to go to Lazarus that triggers the sunset. This will be it. This raising Lazarus will be one controversy too far. And by the end of this chapter, the leaders in Jerusalem will start an actual plot to kill Jesus. Not an impulsive, disorganized, stone-throwing mob. An actual plan for assassination. But because John shows us this conversation before that one, we realize Jesus knew exactly what he was getting himself into. And he chose it. And so we can start to see here, Jesus is actually the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus will raise Lazarus, his beloved sheep. He will go to the rescue. But to do so for the good shepherd means walking into the jaws of the wolf. When facing his own death is the cost of bringing one he loves back from death, Jesus says, let's go, let's go to Julia. Later he'll tell us there is no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the highest form of love, self-giving, sacrificial. And this is the love that Jesus had for his friend Lazarus. This is also the love that Jesus has for you. Jesus loves you and I with the same love that he had for Lazarus. The same let's go to Judea love. He willingly faced his death to save us from death. He saves us from death by taking death on himself. a preview of the way in which Jesus saves all of us here. He does that for everyone he calls friend, for everyone he loves, for everyone who believes in him. He takes the judgment and wrath of God in our place. He takes what we think about this morning, that second death, that that lasting spiritual death beyond our physical death. He takes that in our place. All God's righteous anger and all the ways that we've turned away from him is just vented out on Jesus, this blast of hot air, and it just melts him. He dies so we can live. This is the glory of God's Son. This is the greatness that Jesus is showing us about himself here. It's not just that he does miracles, that he does great things, that he raises a man from the dead, although that would be glorious enough. The glory is also in what it cost him. And what it cost the Son of God to give his friend 
life. Glory is not just in his power to give life, but how he gives us life by giving us his own life. Jesus is facing death for his friend Lazarus. So let's come to the second death that is in these verses. Let's come to Lazarus' death. And John really highlights for us the fact of Lazarus' death. In verse 11, after Jesus had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I can't really blame the disciples here. The last they had heard from the messengers, Lazarus was ill. But Jesus knows Lazarus is in fact now dead. We've seen earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus is sometimes able to know things from far away to, to see things that he are not physically right in front of him. There's this divine knowledge. Jesus knows Lazarus is in fact dead, and that underlines what we, we just saw about facing death. But it also makes it clear that this is not going to be like Jesus' other signs or miracles. This is not water into wine. This is not healing the blind. Spectacular as, as those are. This is the big one, isn't it? Healing the sick is one thing. Undoing death itself is quite another. And this is where we come back to the question of why Jesus didn't go to Lazarus straight away. Verse 14, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake... I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Why did Jesus not go straight away? For the sake of his disciples, so that they could believe. It's for their benefit and for, by extension for all of Jesus' disciples, including us. This was the, the, the great hidden purpose behind why Jesus waited was to help our faith to help us to believe in Jesus if Jesus had been there before Lazarus died what would they have seen they would have seen Jesus undo sickness it is spectacular but they had seen that before and he still felt they needed something more to believe. What we really need to see, so that we may believe, is to see Jesus undo death itself. And by the way, I don't think that Jesus just waited two days to be sure that Lazarus died. You have heard the expression, the devil is in the details. Well, in the Bible, God is in the details. And sometimes when we're reading through these narratives, we can kind of skip through the details like the times and places. But here, John really draws our attention to them. And I think for this reason, go ahead, the slide up, please. I put this in a visual aid. I thought it might help. It's 
really spectacular design, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you just look ahead to, to the verse after our passage in verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now you can check my maths, but five minus four is one. So that's what that table represents, that if Lazarus has died on day one, then Jesus arrived when Lazarus had been buried four days on day five. Now, John also draws attention, not just to, to the, the times and dates of when this is happening, he draws attention to where it's happening. Verse 18, he tells us that Bethany is where this is happening, that they're less than two miles from Jerusalem. And we know where Jesus is. We know where Jesus is because back in chapter 10, verse 40, it tells us he went back across the Jordan to the place John had been baptizing in the early days, which is a reference back to chapter 1, verse 28. It's Bethany across the Jordan. And in chapter 10, it says, there he stayed. So that's where Jesus is when we meet him. And that puts Jesus about a one-day journey from Mary and Martha's house, where Lazarus is buried. Now, can I have the second slide, please? <coughs> Working back from when Jesus arrived on day five, that means he must have set off on day four for a one-day journey. Minus the two days wait, and that means the messengers arrived on day two. They set off on day one, which is the same day that Lazarus had died. So probably what happened is they had set off thinking he was ill. At some point later that day, Lazarus died and was buried because of the, the heat and there, were, there, were, there was no morgues, there were, there were no hospitals then. So Lazarus probably was buried the same day that he died. Then there were, with the, the funeral kind of culture that they had there, there'd be about a week or so of mourning where, where family and friends could visit and they could grieve together. So all this does slightly change how Jesus comes across. But he knows, even if he set off immediately on day two, Lazarus is already dead. But still, we might ask, what about Martha and Mary? He says he loves them too. Is he really loving to, to let them face an extra two days of grief and misery before coming in? Remember, Jesus is doing all this to show his glory and to help us believe. If he set off on day two and arrived on day three, he could still do this miracle. He could still raise Lazarus from the dead, but people might say, well, it's been less than 48 hours. Are we sure Lazarus was dead? Maybe he was just sleeping. But four days in a sealed tomb definitely dead. The fact of his death is definitely established four days into the funeral, scientifically and increasingly emotionally. Waiting that extra two days allows Jesus to make the definitive statement about death that we need to trust in him by undoing Lazarus' death. And so tonight, if it feels 
like Jesus is making you wait the extra two days. Just let that wash over you. Jesus delays so that he can show you his glory. He delays to add weight to the significance, to to turn up the brightness on our view of his glory so that we can believe in him. In this great mystery of how God works, he allows us to be impacted by the grief of death in a controlled, time-limited way so that we can be more impacted by the undoing of death. So that we could therefore know God more truly than if we'd never had that extra two days of grief. You know who your friends are by how they react when you're in trouble, by whether they're there for you when you're in trouble. If you don't have the trouble, harder to know who your friends are. In this way, we know who our God is because we've had that extra two days of grief. It's like he, he sets it on a pair of weighing scales before us. So here, here, here are the four days of grief before I got to you, including the two extra that you thought probably could have been averted. Here are the four days of grief. Feel the weight of that. And then feel the weight of knowing death is undone. On the scales, doesn't the weight of death now seem lighter? Jesus' glorious undoing of it all. As Paul writes, our, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You have felt the weight of mourning, of loss, of temptation, of sickness, of pain, of loneliness, of desperation. If you haven't yet, you will. But after that, how much more will you then feel the weight of the glory of Jesus when he rescues you from those things? That weight for Jesus to show up might not have seemed so glorious to Mary and Martha yet. If we never cried, could we ever know how much Jesus loves us when he wipes those tears away so definitively in the most definite undoing of death to give us everlasting life? Could we ever know that if we never cried? John's spoken of Jesus' death and he's spoken of Lazarus' death. He ends here with the third death in these verses, the disciples' death. Verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. interesting 
side of this, Jesus didn't just say, I'm going, let me go to Judea. He said, let us go back to Judea. And Thomas, as a disciple, is there to follow Jesus. When Jesus goes, he goes. So it's not only Jesus facing his death if they go to Lazarus. All those with him have to face their death too. In following Jesus, each of them has to carry out their own risk assessment, and so do we. To follow Jesus is so often in the Bible described as facing our death. Thinking about that this morning with the, the, the church in Smyrna, but so often talked about as a death, a death to the old life, a death to the old self that lives for myself, putting to death of sin, a willingness to face the death of our comfort, the death of our hopes and dreams, the death of our reputations, and even the death of our bodies. Jesus is very clear this is what following him means. Take up your cross. I think sometimes we can approach that all in a very Thomas-like way. Thomas is following Jesus. He has started to realize his life and death are now bound up with Jesus' life and death. As I read it, it sounds to me like he's speaking here with kind of a a grim determination. There's no smile on his face. He's loyal, but he's a bit pessimistic, a bit miserable. I think we can also think about following Jesus in that way too. We can just kind of plod on facing all those deaths following Jesus with the, this resigned Eeyore-ish attitude of, oh, well, I guess life's going to be miserable there. And when we catch that in ourselves, let's not miss the other part of the lesson Jesus teaches us here. Yes, to follow him will mean to face death. We need to weigh that in our risk assessments as we choose to follow him or not. The night is coming. But on the other side of the night, there is a glorious new day that will never end. (coughs) We're hearing these words on the other side, not only of Jesus undoing Lazarus' death, but also of Jesus conquering his own death and ours. There is death with Christ, but with Christ, Death will not be the final word. This will not end in death. Those who die with Christ will be raised with Christ. So we can do so much better than Thomas and his grim determination. Thomas said, let's also go, that we may die with him. We can add more to that sentence, can't we? We can say, let's also go that we may die with him and then receive the crown of glory and live with him forever. Shall we pray?
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a good shepherd, that you did lay down your life for us, that you chose this. You willingly went to face death so that you might give us life. Lord, we praise you for this. And we ask that you would help us to believe in you for this. Thank you for the display of your glory that you show us in these verses and in the whole story of everything that you did for us when you came and lived and died and lived again, never to die again. Lord, help us to trust in that when the wait seems long, when it seems like you're delaying in coming to us. Lord, I pray for, for anyone here tonight who's in that, in what seems like that extra two days wait. Lord, help us to see what you, what you show us about yourself here and trust you. Help us to keep holding on, waiting for the day when we will see the victory of a death that you've won for us. We pray all this that you might be brought glory. Amen.